Join us on our Galaxy Class Starship as we head to Columbus, Ohio. The, this uh, December second, USS, USS Columbus, USS Columbia. <laughs> oh no! Wait, sorry, I was channeling the cage. There were no Galaxy Class Starships back in the day. No, that's true. That was only in uh, in, in Next Generation. And you don't know our tenth as well as. Oh wait, that's not it either. Okay, what do they say? What do they say? These Galaxy Class Starships. What is that ridiculous scene in Far Point where they're talking about the? You know, they're literally like. I, I think it's I'm sharing very the Bible by this new Galaxy Class Starship. Okay, great. Good for you. How many times do they say Galaxy Quest in uh, Galaxy <laughs> How many Class? How many times do they say Galaxy Quest? Galaxy Class in, in Farpoint, Darren. I don't know. I think uh, maybe three times. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. They, yeah. they want to really hammer it home because it's in the Bible. It's so way they got to make it than, very clear. It's way bigger than the Solar System Class one. It's super bigger than the Constellation <laughs> Class. It's even bigger than the Dreadnoughts. Okay. So uh, the point of this. The point of this is that we, Darren Doctor and Mark A. Altman, the Inglorious Trexperts, are going to be at GalaxyCon in Columbus, Ohio, December 2nd through the 4th. It's going join... a, a wonderful romping weekend with us. Yes. yes. I, it, it's going to be great because uh, these are great conventions. Uh, Mike Broder and his team do a fantastic job. We're really excited uh, um, to, to be there. Um we know that they're all about the fans, which is something that we found very attractive when we had the opportunity to go uh, at this. And, and you can join us for live podcast recordings, interviews, meets and greets, special guests who will be attending the convention like Bill Shatner, Kevin. I have, I have in my notes, Kevin Sith. Who's that? <laughs> Kevin Smith. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, Terry Farrell, many others. Of course, and us. We, and us. Well, of course, us. That's the most exciting of all. Your, we would be honored favorite, if you would join us. Your uh, wheeled scooter targets. Oh, my God. I hope not. I hope not. I feel like <laughs> they, they they set their sights on me. Like they've locked on. They've locked on. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like when there's a phaser on, on, on overload. Deflector is full intensity. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it's going to be great. We're really excited. And we hope you are, too. And you'll join us in Columbus, Ohio, this December 2nd to the 4th at GalaxyCon. For more information or buy tickets, go to GalaxyCon dot com today hey darren have you heard about trexpers plus yet heard about it we've we've done it what it's amazing about? of course i've heard about it it's so cool you're getting the whole trexpers experience but you're also getting a new podcast from us the inglorious trexpers deck 78 this is true it's it's like a it's like hanging uh with us in the lounge on a starship but also cool guests talking about cool subjects, Trek adjacent topics like right. Alien, Battle Beyond the Stars, Robocop, Logan's Run, The Black Hole, you name it. And, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll be there. Who knows? There might be a little uh, one about The Godfather someday. Oh, that'd be fun. Maybe I want to do that. Maybe will be able to refuse that. <laughs> they won't indeed. So it's real easy to join. If you want to support uh, the podcast and become a member of Trexpress Plus to get all the the great Trexperts Plus goodness. You want to go to <laughs> TrexpertsPlus.com, TrexpertsPlus.com, and take word, off one for savings. Out. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, it, it, it you, you can sign up. It's very easy, and then from there on out, you can enjoy the full experience and you can be find your way chosen. to deck seventy eight, the hidden deck of the Starship <laughs> Enterprise and the Inglorious Trexperts, where we hang out. Well, yeah. It's all good. Join us. TheTrexpertsPlus.com Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And Ashley Edward Miller. And we are the Inglorious... Trexperts! And today, you should be grateful because we have one of my absolute favorite people, uh, other than the fact that she prefers Pan and Scan to Letterbox laser discs. But uh, <laughs> she is, uh, we've known her for, for a couple of years, not that many because we're all 29 years old. That's but um, but uh, yeah, she's been an executive producer on The Flash. She was show, showrunner on Haven. Uh, she is the executive producer and uh, co-showrunner of uh, the summer I turned pretty, pretty, 
uh, Darren Dockerman's Life Story, and um, and many, many, many other shows. Grey's Anatomy, uh, Ugly I've Betty, pretty. Beautiful Betty. Uh, you know, she wrote for Deep Space Nine. Uh, the, uh, just it goes, the list goes on. We'd be here all day if we were reciting your credits. But we're so thrilled to welcome back our good friend, good friend of the podcast, Gabrielle Stanton. Hello, it is lovely to be here. And just listening to all those titles, I realized how amazing it was that I managed to pack all those jobs again into like what, like four years, five years, maybe top. It's incredible. <laughs> you were very prolific. Very prolific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I well, um, let's not forget uh, co-star of uh, the wonderful Free Enterprise. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Can't forget that credit. <laughs> Much as we try. You know, it's funny. Three of us were in free enterprise. One of us was not. This is a Rafe Needleman question. <laughs> Which person did not appear in the motion picture, the 1999 cult classic free enterprise? Was it A, Darren Dockerman, B, Mark A. Altman, C, Gabrielle Stanton, or D, Ashley Edward Miller? Uh, I'm going to guess it was D. But maybe oh. we should ask Scott Mance what he thinks. It was actually <laughs> Mar it was actually Mark Altman because the uh, basketball scene was excised for foreign markets. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was I was in that. I was in that. I was cousin Ira. Yes. Not to be confused with cousin Oliver. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so Gab is so funny. I we we. Um, we did a, a, a you know Star Trek Las Vegas the convention we did and you, you'll appreciate this. We did a quiz show and we the the quiz master the quiz master general was Rafe Needleman the author of the the offer the author Offered. of the official Star Trek <laughs> trivia book, which he wrote when he was sixteen years old thirteen years old in nineteen seventy nine, yeah. um and he wrote this book that we all had we all we we and 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 has been on the show and then came to Vegas but so we had three contestants one of which was Scott Mance. And Scott Mans came on cocky as you can be. I got this. I'm going to win. There's no way anyone could beat me. Well, suffice it to say, he lost. And he could not stop complaining. It was rigged. <laughs> it was nonsense. I, you know, they, 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 it should. I, the questions were bad. I mean, I've never seen, for a guy who's always so happy and optimistic and positive, I've never seen him be so negative. <laughs> Oh, he doesn't gonna, like to lose. He's going to be home studying all year, waiting for next year. Oh, he um, wants the the comeback. He, wants he doesn't to... accept the no win scenario. <laughs> but, but I assume that you won, Mr. Allman. No, I, I I don't do trivia. We had actually we hosted, so it was Darren, me, and Ashley hosting, and then the contestants were Scott Mance. Uh, there was um, Hazel Honeysuckle, the star of um, uh, Absinthe at the um, at the Caesar's Palace, and Laura Banks, the navigator on the Reliant from Star Trek II. They were the contestants, and they could each call a member of the audience up to help them answer the questions. But of course, Scott didn't needed no help because he knows everything, and he proceeded to lose. Yes, we all did. We loved it, and it was funny because he kept trying to answer the questions for everybody. So I think it was Darren, or maybe it was Ashley, who coined the term "mansplaining." Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> But That's look, it, it was all in good fun, and uh, Scott's okay now, I think. But he's recovered. He 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 yeah, called, he called a me up bit. a couple of days later and said, "I'm finally over it." I said, "It's about time, Scott." <laughs> he was a good sport. He was a very good sport, and it was it was a fun time. You used exactly. to go to all those creation conventions. I know. I've got to. I've got to go to the. I've only been to the Vegas one, I think, once or twice. And I, I, by next year, I, when COVID is really behind us although will it ever be maybe yeah. uh, maybe i'll go I, I would like i was brave going you talked me into going to comic-con this year and and that's right no was, you know didn't get COVID. everyone else did but you know i, I was very brave so thank god you didn't get COVID because oh, i, I called you i begged for help i said you gotta come to comic-con we need you badly and uh <laughs> you 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 did the panels and you came to the dinner and thank god because like that dinner was like the deadly years. I know. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I thought I'd look at my hand. He was know. scared to death. <laughs> the key was I was drinking martinis, and I think the alcohol. Like, oh yeah, well, it protected you, know you. I also was drinking martinis. Mm -hmm. You know what? I think we're onto something. We're totally onto something. It was like uh, adrenaline, Jim. It was the martinis. <laughs> <laughs> martinis, Jim. Now see, that's a better version of it. Yeah, exactly. That's how he finds the, the 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 cure for the disease. It's like you heard me, Lieutenant. Make it a double. 
drink up. Can I make mine an apple martini? Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was crazy because there were so many people at that dinner. We were just talking about that before we started the show. We're afflicted with the uh, with the COVID uh, uh, at that at that dinner. Fortunately, we were all all spared because we had the martinis, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, the mac and cheese without the bacon. No, it was without the lobster, I think. Oh, know. without the lobster. You're correct. It was without the lobster. That's right. The food was particularly good that night. It was excellent. It was great. It was. Again, I had too much of it. I always eat too much when I go. Unfortunately, my son decided that he now loves Morton's. He's like, oh, oh. we gotta get we gotta go more often. We gotta, you know, I love the steak. It was great. I'm like, yeah. it's like it's like McDonald's. He wants First to the response to that is, hey, get a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're not going to Morton's every week. It's like, hey, dad, can we go to Morton's? It's like, no. No. no the answer's we can't. No. <laughs> the word is no therefore we're going anyway <laughs> yeah no so but it was it was it was a, it was a good time and i'm glad you came because uh i thought the panel was great the writing for tv panel that we did this year was really good um it's always good it's always it's always fun i was sorry chris couldn't stay longer he's he's always very entertaining but i thought oh no i thought it went really really well although my husband still talks about our um what was it our fantasy island um oh when oh, we broke awesome. an episode of Fantasy Island. He still sometimes will like charge, like just sit up in the middle of the night and scream like, is there a gorilla in it? Which I think is like <laughs> Ashley's. <laughs> you left an impression on him, Ash. That Thank was you. one of the great panels because in this, this was a Comic-Con panel where our writers panel broke it, uh, uh, an episode of television. It was a fantasy writers room. So we broke an episode of uh, Fantasy Island. And... Um, Everybody that, just that means laying out the story of an episode and yeah. figuring out where the breaks of the acts are and and uh, figuring out the rise and fall of the uh, action. And we had a great the... writer's assistant who was taking notes Amazing. the whole time. It was really there was that was a great panel. It was <laughs> the gorilla story that the gorilla's fantasy was to be a human being and his handler fell in love with him. I can't remember. Or what is that I an even better version of what I, I pitched? I don't you, know. You plussed it. Were you at the end of the panel screaming about a gorilla? That's all. I, I thought the gorilla <laughs> replaced Tattoo as uh, Rourke's uh, associate. <laughs> he, he was getting too expensive, Hervé. Yeah, that's so, right. So what were you talking about on today's show? We were, oh, I know. We were talking about how um, there's been a lot of you know people recently um, who have uh, been criticizing our captain, the great. Right. Captain James Tiberius Kirk, played by the brilliant William Shatner. And I think we wanted to uh, talk about why um, that's sheer folly, because yeah. uh, Captain Kirk, uh, you know, they, they used to remember my TV guy used to be who's the better captain, Captain mm -hmm. Kirk or Captain Picard? It's like, really? Is this really? even a question? Well, I have to say, I have not even heard this noise. And it's a good thing because I would have just shut those people down. Hard. Plus, the, there's the there's the question of temporal relativism, where you have you apply uh, the mores and feelings of today to uh, times past, and uh, it's just not right. It's not right, I tell you. Well, let, let's let's talk about some of the things people criticize him for. There, there's this I, 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 idea that somehow he was a a guy who was always violating the prime directive. That uh, he was breaking the rules. He's a rule breaker who never listened to Starfleet. Not true, is it? No. Mm, it's really not true. Although I, I do want to take a moment and take exception with the, the Karens in fandom uh, who are complaining that mayhap James T. Kirk might improvise um, or break the rules. My God, do all of you people sit in the front of the classroom? Do you <laughs> sharpen the pencils for the teacher? Is that what you do all day? Who are you? Are you very special? Does your mommy love you best? Really, what's what's going on with that? Like, you know, I, I think if anything, and I said, you know, Kirk improvised a lot. One of the things when, you know, the when the US military is at its best, as opposed to the Russian military, is we value in our commanding officers the ability to improvise, the ability to, you know, be in the field and make decisions and respond to reality and interpret the rules and interpret doctrine and be creative and that that goes all the way down you know to the to the lowest rank grunt so captain kirk 
represents, I think, the the best of what the military expects from its officers, yeah. not the worst. But that's that's just me. What the hell do I know? I sat in the back of the class and threw spitballs, <laughs> broke the goddamn rules. Yeah, See, I would have to say Kirk is in is actually a rule breaker. But, you know, sometimes rules need to be broken. And exactly what Ashley was saying is, you know, his ability to kind of glean the spirit of the law sometimes yes. as opposed to the exact letter of the law is what made him very kind of a very, you know, versatile captain. I mean, you look at some of, you know, he, look, he had a great advantage that he was really able to improvise and move very quickly on his feet. I think if he had not been able to do that, a lot of the situations he found himself in, he would have just been screwed over. Yeah. But he was able to pull himself out of it, and that's the difference between being a hero and being someone who's up for court-martial. But there, but there are whole episodes, <laughs> there are whole episodes where he uh, almost, uh, you know, risks the life of his crew and his ship to not violate these rules. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he knows uh, when there is uh, leeway, uh, either way, to uh, work within the rules, but still, uh, like you said, uh, understand the meaning the meaning of the rules rather than the uh, letter of the law. And I think that's very important because. You know, the for example, the Prime Directive has that one loophole in it, a, a normally developing society. And right. the definition of that uh, means whether or not you can interfere or not. And uh, I think a, a lot of those instances where he, uh, quote unquote, broke the Prime Directive was to fix a broken society. Right. To actually uphold the spirit of the Prime Directive yeah. uh, while perhaps skirting the edge of the, uh, the the letter of the law. You know, I kind of like to think of, of Kirk as he's a gambler. He he knows when to hold him. And when to fold him. He knows him. when to fold him. And he knows when to walk away. And he knows and when, when to run. run. Yeah. <laughs> you never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting after the episode's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's you do contract negotiations. That's right. Later, you know, well, now that Darren said that, in the history of their five-year mission, did they ever actually encounter a completely like normal, like unaffected civilization that had not been messed with by someone else before them? Yeah. Yes, but they didn't make an episode about. Two. <laughs> no, they didn't make an episode. It was between episodes. Uh, okay, the other missions okay. we didn't see were where okay. they went to a normal planet. They brought them. They saved food, those episodes for them. next generation. Yeah, right. We're behind the duck blind, observing. Right. Uh, we've been here for a couple of months with our binoculars, watching yeah. this primitive culture. Ooh, that's fun. Nothing right. yet. Um, and by the way, primitive culture. Let's kind of focus on that for a second, right? Because the 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 prime directive, the the it applied differently. At least in terms of the, the practicalities of it, to uh, to a to a society that had not achieved, you know, warp drive, warp that drive. had not, you know, than it was for like, you know, more advanced and more developed places. It wasn't like a a blanket prohibition against interference. I it mean, the, the intention. Wasn't the rule that if they had achieved warp drive, you were allowed to come in and be like, "Hey, well, they were they were eligible for first contact." Yeah. Right. Well, I and, have no problem. If Captain Kirk sees Nazis and wants to stop them, I don't have a problem with him breaking the rules and kicking the Nazis' ass. He and if he, right sees, if he sees mobsters, same deal. Oh, totally. <laughs> Tell you. And, Just ask Al Ruddy. <laughs> that's right. Where's Ruddy? I remember that was like that was in, in an episode and they cut it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, uh, an think... interesting one, though, is um, – because this really probably does toe the line if you had to say, like, you know, if he had not, if things had not been the way that they were, like Errand of Mercy, he mm -hmm. really did go down to this planet and say, sorry, guys, I know you think you know best, but the Klingons, I don't know. Klingons agree. are coming to destroy you. And I'm going to sneak around and, like, do all this stuff behind your back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, the Klingons were already interfering. That's correct. Right. And the Organians were Organians, so the whole question was moot. Right, and it was that's moot right. because they were lying to, to yes. us. Yes, that's right. But you're uh, right. Think... Assuming we didn't even know that the Organians had these superpowers and were highly evolved, Kirk did the right thing. He yeah. knew what the Klingons were going to do. Should he allow them to be wiped out as a race? You know, I say I, nay. No, I, he. You know, he was he was going to stop. He had to sabotage them. Sabotage. And... <laughs> it sickens me how you say that. Uh, or. Here's another example. Okay, where I think it's um it's it's a little 
perhaps on the on the margins. So I submit to the three of you. I submit uh, to you. I submit to you a taste of Armageddon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, where I, I think the, the margin call, look, his solution is brilliant. And it's one of my favorite Star Trek moments. Mm -hmm. I think the question is, does it violate the prime directive or no. is Kirk right to say I'm Kirk happy is to absolutely my right. They first. had been waging war for hundreds of years and people were getting into disintegration machines left and right for no good reason. Just because it was easier for them to fight this computerized war. And that is not a, a, a development of a healthy uh, community or race. I think what always adds to the difficulty of it, though, is everyone seems to want to involve the Enterprise in, like, their stuff. Mm. Like, if they had released the, his, you know, the rest of the crew and the ship and just said, go along your merry way, he may yeah. You know, it's like, Probably. Well, I can't remember the name of it, but there was an episode of Next Gen where Wesley, like, runs on the grass. Yeah, and Justice. And yeah, it's Justice. Justice. It's awful, but it has great you know, costumes. But <laughs> it does have but it's the whole idea. It's like, just leave us out of it, and we're more likely to just go away. Mm. Once you broil us in your politics, you're, you know, it's more likely we're going to interfere. Well, that's, that's basically point. That's basically what they did in that episode. Yeah. You know, they basically just left and said, screw you. We're not going to pay attention to your laws, but go on and live your stupid lives. But you're well, absolutely right about a taste ahead, of Armageddon. Sure. I was going to say yeah. about a taste of Armageddon because they were uh, – um, uh, the computer identified them as casualties and the enterprise right. as a, uh, you know, so had they not had no been, choice. yeah, they, they had no choice to get involved in the conflict, but you're right. Yeah. Maybe if that hadn't happened, they would have gotten back on dun, 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 and, and left off, it alone. You know? But it I guess you could interpret that, that episode as because of the way conflict worked, the enterprise essentially came under attack. And the moment the enterprise came under attack, then Kirk had to defend it. And he defended it without firing a shot. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, no, he did fire a shot. He destroyed it. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting because I guess it was our, our you know, our friend from Trek Movie, Laurie Ulster, wrote an article for StarTrek.com called In Defense of Captain Kirk. And I know a lot of people, including myself, you know, took umbrage with the idea of calling it In Defense of Captain Kirk. It's a lovely piece she wrote. There was nothing wrong with the content. But um, that Kirk, Captain Kirk needs defending. There is this sense among certain people, I guess, that he represents, you know, what is now called toxic masculinity, which is an absurd notion because, of course, Captain Kirk was a character that relied on the counsel, counsel of his um, advisors, Spock, McCoy, you know, um, among, you know, the guest star of the week um, to, to, you know, to make decisions. But he was confident and capable. And, uh, you know, he didn't need to outsource his his decisions and discuss everything for hours with, you know, people and like, oh, what should we do? He, I mean, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I don't think that makes him, uh, you know, there's anything wrong with that. No, and the, the whole thing about toxic masculinity is, you know, the lack of compassion and empathy, which I think Captain Kirk had a great deal of both. Mm -hmm. that, you mm -hmm. know, he would demonstrate in you know almost every episode so i would definitely i would not say he is an example of toxic masculinity he's a product of his time in the 60s i mean look if you look at james bond movie from back then you're going to see a different bond you know in sean connery necessarily in daniel craig but yeah. each is a bond for its time but even though they were made contemporaneously captain kirk is extremely different than James Bond, you know, sure. uh, yeah, James you know, Bond would trample on the flowers in yeah. uh, Injustice on the Edo planet. Care. And then he would think it's a nice planet. Um, the, the thing about Kirk and the way he makes decisions is you go back and you, you watch that show and you think about what shows like it at the, at the time would have been. And as you said, he relied very much on Spock and McCoy. Not only that, um, we got to see Kirk be vulnerable. We got to see Kirk question his decisions. Um, we got to be inside of his head. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Kirk sitting in the, you know, in the sitting, at, you know, in his command chair and just offering diktat. Well, you know, everybody just runs around doing whatever. It was, it was, it was key to the show 
the, the triumvirate yeah. and really kind of taking these issues apart and figuring out what to do. But the thing is, when it came down to it, Kirk made the decisions. Of course, and the, it, there's a there's a close there's a close relation in television from the time in uh, the show Gunsmoke. We talked this, mm -hmm. about this before that uh, Matt Dillon had uh, Doc and Festus and Miss Kitty around to uh, not talk to be confused with, with Matt Dillon. Not to be confused with the actor Matt Dillon, yes. Um, <laughs> Star but, Tex. Uh, yes, but he uh, he sort of uh, provided the same role as uh, you know he made the decisions, but he relied on his friends to uh, help him in situations. And uh, you know, there's a very close connection between Star Trek and westerns, as we have discussed. Yeah, but I also think you know you saw the the pain that Captain Kirk experienced when he lost a crew member. And, you know, a lot of that had to do with Shatner's performance where, you know, there's this joke about, oh, red shirts and everything. But, you know, mostly on a lot of those Westerns, uh, uh, you know, people get shot and they fall off a horse and they're dead. And, yeah. you know, no one comments. But, you know, every time Kirk lost a crew member, you could see how, you know, it just tore him apart inside yeah. the way he responded to the death of his crew and the way he, he, he um, questioned himself for making a mistake you know um it's like when he uh you know well, gets, like you know just shore leave look at shore leave when he you know he says oh you know uh i should have you know i should have never stayed i should have you know at the first sign of the you know trouble i you know we should have left and and uh you know he, he 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 doubts himself because he's so upset over the fact that you know he's put people in jeopardy because he made maybe what is could, could be considered the wrong decision well, a lot of it too was very much like you know what is it heavy's head the where's the crown i mean there yes. was always a kind of a conversation about you know there's the great things about command but then there's the, the responsibilities, responsibilities. Can be I, mean, I was thinking of balance of terror when he's marrying that cute couple like at the yeah. very beginning and then at the end he has to go into the chapel and talk to this woman who was literally married for like 12 hours and is now yeah, yeah. and you and that and that was the point of his whole speech about death it wasn't like and now bones i'm gonna retire to my room and i'm just gonna have a philosophical moment that is emotionally disconnected from anything else that's happening around us i mean that that speech um that mccoy gives him about you know there's you know just one of, of each of us you know don't kirk's, destroy the one named kirk named kirk right kirk's angst was about the the lives that he was losing it was jeopardy. about his connection to these people and you know you, you can't look at that and say well there's somebody who lacks compassion no like, oh my god not. and he's wrestling with that decision that's what's so great about balance of terror specifically right. is that he is really wrestling with if i go after the romulans it's a war it, it's yeah. a war and the millions of people who may die because of what i do next at the same time if i appease them like Neville Chamberlain or something, you know, that could be equally or even more disastrous. And yeah. you, you know, you see a character who's faced with these dilemmas. And what the genius of Shatner was, he could convey the torment on his face, you know, and through his performance, which was remarkable because you didn't see that with a lot of actors. That's why he's so extraordinary in that role. Well, you kind of uh, suggest, I think, a, a very important point as well about Kirk that wraps back to what we were saying about the Prime Directive, et cetera. The, the way that Star Trek was originally structured is you couldn't just necessarily hop on a call with the Admiral right. and say, hey, what do you think's going on back there at Starfleet Command? It wasn't easy. Yeah. He was out there on the frontier. He was the Federation. Mm -hmm. wherever he was that was part of his responsibility he was empowered as the voice of the federation yes exactly and he knew that he carried that responsibility as well a very specific responsibility mm -hmm. um which is very different i don't think you see anything like it in the modern star trek shows and by modern i mean anything like tng and beyond maybe a, a, i guess on the on paper janeway but really that was just about the voyager and a little bit cisco but that was partly because of the position he was placed in once, you know, the- But Cisco the was the most Kirkian character. Now, Easy. look, yeah. I like Next Generation. I really, I like Picard. But the the reality is, is that he had it much easier and he wasn't making, you know, he was, he was much more a consensus builder than somebody who would make 
these big decisions. I mean, it also is a product of the time these shows were made because Kirk was very much in the mold of John F. Kennedy. Even, you know, uh, James Tiberius Kirk is an analog to JFK. So, uh, you know, and, and if you look at Kirk, he is a lot like Kennedy. He's young, you know, he's he, he's much, he's he's in a position of leadership at a very young age. He's right? got a Super terrible cute. drug problem. He he he, right. you know, he has a bad back. You no, know, he 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 and loves a, the a he father loves, who worked with the Nazis. Yeah, he lo he loves the ladies. You know, um, but uh, you know, so he was a lot like Kennedy. But you know, despite whatever personal demons, um, was very optimistic and had a, a grand vision, you know, for the future and. Um, to me, you know, Picard was made in a very different era. It was made during the era of George H.W. Bush. And, you know, not that consensus building is a bad thing, but it, it was very much, um, I felt that Picard was very much a George H.W. Bush type of character as oh, opposed hold to Kirk. On, hold on, That's a not, whole podcast. Not W, not W, George H.W. Bush, yeah. you know. Well, to and, be fair, during Next Generation, we didn't get any new taxes, so... <laughs> That's also true <laughs> because there was no money in the future. That's right. But I understand like what you're what you're saying. It's um it's the difference between um somebody who is pushing forward um uh, like truly like into the the future, boldly going perhaps is a way of saying it, and a kind of a caretaker. And there's nothing wrong with being a caretaker. Uh, no, it was a good pilot. But, yeah, but the yeah, the, but the truth of the matter is that that you're right. Look, I I love Captain Picard. He didn't. I don't know if he aged well, but I love Captain Picard. <laughs> I mean, we could have a whole episode about that, right? Comparing contrast what happens when the captains turn eighty. Mm -hmm. Um, like, it's like Kurt sounds still like punching sounds like out. fun, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Picard, well, maybe not so he, much. How old was he in Patrick Stewart in First Contact? Do you know oh. anyone? Well, let's see, he's eighty now, and that was what twenty five years ago. So he was in his 60s. He was in his mid to late 60s. Because I actually watched no. that the other day, and he actually did pretty good when he was hanging there in the engine room with the rope and his, like, buffy arm, buff arms and everything. Oh, his yeah. buff yeah, he, arms. That was impressive. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, that, and that's so interesting, too, because you look at, um, you know, Patrick, and, of course, he was originally down on the planet, you know, talking to Zephram Cochran, and his first note as the star of the movie was, I want to be on the ship firing phasers and being the man of action. You know, he and me, his first note was, I want to be the John McClane of First Contact. You know, yeah. I don't want to be, you know, Reginald Van, Van Johnson, you know? Phil <laughs> so. Johnson. Right. Van Johnson was different. Reginald Van Johnson is amusing, <laughs> and we can add that to the repertoire. The guy from Family Matters. He didn't want yeah. to be that, you know? Ford was always much more of a cerebral captain. I mean, you got the sense that he, like, really studied the rules and stuff. I mean, Kirk In fact, you could say he was a cerebro captain. He could have been. Uh, he was a cerebral oh. captain. <laughs> I like uh, to do that on a silver platter, Darren. He did. You know what? Can teed I it up though, and boom. I, I think that we're stepping into a trap by doing. It's a, a trap. The, it's a trap. By doing the captain comparison. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe that the true impetus behind, you know, whoever these 12 people on the internet are who are being completely amplified by bots and people as dumb as themselves, um, is it is a it is a particular subset of uh, contemporary fandom that feels the need to tear down the thing that came before. The foundation yeah, of the, the whole franchise Exactly, because of a deep insecurity about, you know, what it is that they're they're watching and i think that the the trap is when we get into kirk is awesome but now let's beat up on picard uh is that we kind of fall into that into that same thought process right i think to me that the key is that all of the great there have been great captains on star trek so yeah. we should talk about how great cisco is so we're not yes we should um uh, but look, there are great things about <laughs> no, picard but He's we've just done that episode dude. yeah and exactly can I, can I ask the kirk haters who is their favorite captain and, and why or do they not give constraint uh, jonathan harriman of the enterprise b right i'm kidding <laughs> i don't know you know what I, it's, it's, it's so it's so bizarre you know um the star trek fans and you're right we we can't put much of um uh, uh give you know acknowledge too much of this nonsense on social because it's a rabbit hole which really doesn't concern us um because you know like today for instance i'll just give you an example of like why it's not even worth acknowledging this kind of stuff um 
which is, you know, other than the fact it reinforces these stereotypes, which are not accurate, they get amplified. And then you get all these people saying that Captain Kirk is sexist or this or that, you know. Um, but, um, you know, today we we wrote a, a lovely testimonial to the 35th. It was the 35th birthday of Next Generation. Congratulations. This is wonderful. This is, you know, what was so fresh about Next Generation was it tried to do something different um, and boldly go. And, and thank you, Gene Roddenberry. Right. Thank mm -hmm. you for doing this. So somebody then wrote uh, on, on our Twitter page, assuming that we're freaking morons apparently that um uh you know dc fontana was very involved and um she wrote the very original episode voyage to babel voyage to babel and um and uh, also wrote for deep space nine dax and uh yeah so i guess the infer inference is oh you know there was also a woman involved not just Gene. So why are you signaling your your your, your you know approbation for Gene Roddenberry and not mentioning the other people that worked on the show? Right. Yeah. And and it's an let's absurd... give the whole crew list every time. <laughs> let's let's congratulate right. the, the gaffer. You yeah. know, first of all, if, services. You, if you're on our Twitter feed and you are responding to things that we tweet and you have to ask us if we know who the DC Fontana is, you're obviously not listening to podcasts. And then your next question should be after you're done beating us up for like not saying something nice about DC Fontana, like, well, gee, you mentioned Gene Roddenberry. Why not Gene Kuhn? Well, yes, you know, there's like, and as Darren said, at some point, you're just listing everything. The truth well, of the matter is that the show, it, you know, regardless of like how I feel about his notes to Harv Bennett for Star Trek 3, like <laughs> the fact is that the, the, show, the main Star title Trek said came from Gene created by Gene Roddenberry. Nobody else. Whether or not look, that I mean, was look at all the true. amazing writers who come out of X Files. But if you're talking yeah. about you know the X Files, you're like Chris Carter. Chris Carter, exactly. Right. You don't just start to go Glenn Morgan, Jim Wong, you know Darren uh, Morgan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and it's funny because my answer to this person was sit down shut up and you may fucking learn something from us you know it, it, it's like oh you're about to get sued and canceled yeah, and no no because here's the thing again it's about expertise and life. knowledge this person is trying to say oh i know more about star trek than you guys you know yeah. it's like but you're not making a good point because first of all if we were talking about the pillars of the original series of course you'd mentioned yeah, you mentioned Gene Kuhn and John Merritt Lucas and DC Fontana and 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 J. John D. F. Black, but that's not what we're not. What, but if you're talking about the creation of Star Trek, then you're talking about Gene Roddenberry, right? It's the same thing with Next Generation. You know, it, it, look, um, the, the 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 first two years are what they are. You want to talk about nurturing it into something a pop culture phenomenon? Then there's Michael Pillar to thank, and there's Jerry Taylor to thank, and there's you know a, a whole bunch of people, Rick Berman. Yeah. You know, but that's not what this was. This was Gene Roddenberry created the show. Now, did he have help? Yes. But, you know, and if you're going to single out DC's contributions, look, what she contributed to Next Generation before she was, quote unquote, was fired, was not, uh, you know, she wrote, uh, she didn't write the envelope on Farpoint. She wrote some of the less great stuff about Farpoint. And on Dax, she was rewritten. So it's like, this is not the greatest thing to showcase what a great, you know what you want to say about DC Fontana? You want to say, not only was she a woman who started as an assistant to Gene Roddenberry, but, and got the opportunity to, 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 when women were not being given the opportunity to work in television, she, and took it and was amazing, was an amazing writer and, and, yeah. and a huge part of the success of that show. And then went on to have a great career as one of the heads of the Writers Guild, active on the board. She went and ran other shows. She worked you know, on Logan's Run, and she did all this other stuff. You know, it's like, you, you, you know, you're going to signify her achievement about Next Generation, which is almost inconsequential to yeah. the amazing career that she had, all the things she didn't accomplish. But, you know, I'm just going to throw something out because I'm on social media. And uh, everybody's I, I, an expert. And everybody's an expert. I, I know Except this is, you, Mark, you know nothing. I, it's true. I know nothing. You know nothing. The um, DC Fontana for me was, I mean, you know, like, again, I'm watching all my science fiction shows as a kid. I'm not seeing any women's names, mm -hmm. but I didn't even know until, I uh, remember that paperback? It was silver. I think it was called The Making of Star Making Trek. Making of Star Trek, right. Uh, uh, look. Karen, yeah. is he going to show it to me? You mean this? My cover the is- The one that we talked your about? Cover is the your cover is the silver cover. Your cover is the one from yeah. 1975. Uh, that's uh, that's oh, the one I have. I, I found it in a backyard sale. Yeah. 
Um, and um, but until then, I didn't know. I thought DC was a boy. Yeah. Well, she and did that's that on why purpose, she, of course. Yeah, how she, she did it. But DC. I thought, wow, like I I didn't realize that. And you know, then I went back and I was like, oh, girls can write sci-fi. This is fantastic. I know what I want to do when I grow up. But it also says something about the era too, the fact that she couldn't even use her name she couldn't be dorothy fontana because she wouldn't get hired right because yeah. they didn't believe girls could write action you know and i mean it's it's so that is a more potent and interesting message than you know she also worked on next generation mm -hmm. <laughs> um uh i got that stop just... reading twitter i'm off twitter it's, it's I, I very rarely do horrible place don't do it's it stupid it's literally making you dumber reading yeah. it you know, like, I don't I, read on it. Average one IQ now, point TikTok is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, though, because, you know, we recently launched this Trek Sports Plus uh, because we had a new podcast and people can subscribe to the podcast and all that. And so I, you know, I, I read a little more just to see how that's going and what people are saying and if yeah. we need to weigh in. But um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, down this, you know, path lies nothing good. Mm. And uh, <laughs> nope. Only madness and pain. madness and despair. How did we get into this? We were supposed to be talking oh, I know, about, talking about Captain Kirk. Right? Captain Kirk and why Captain, Captain Kirk? Kirk we is didn't so come great. to to bury Captain Kirk, but to praise him. Mm -hmm. No, uh, he, we we don't have a bridge around to have him fall on him. Tears um, for Caesar. Okay, you oh, were there geez. during that. That's right. That that and if great. I moment. were a tree. You could sit under me. Oh, Gab. And I would so be fine. So if you had been with us that night, we we went to this party Thursday night. It was before you got to Comic-Con. And uh, Legion M was throwing a party. And uh, the reason we went was we heard Shatner was going to sing. Oh. And uh, so we went. We got there just in time as he took the stage. And uh, he gave this wonderful monologue about um, performing at the Kennedy Center and then performed the song, If I Were a Tree. It was It was so awesome. It was so awesome. Was it awesome, like Rocket Man awesome, or was it? It like... was in a different way. Awesome. In a different way. In a different way, because Rocket Man is pure kitsch. This actually had um, deep bit, meaning, meaningful things. Meaning, meaning, particularly to him. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of, it was kind of special. Was it an yeah. existing song, or did he write it? He wrote it. Wrote it. Oh, okay. Yeah, he wrote it. He, and you could tell he was really excited because. He'd written a couple of songs that he then performed at the Kennedy Center where he got a rapturous ovation and reception. And it, it obviously meant a lot to him. And that was awesome. He just is a force of nature. I just cannot figure out He's how amazing. he's going. I'll never forget. I mean, when we were doing Free Enterprise and he came to meet the hip hop artists and, you know, he said, you know, rap is the poetry of the streets. And, you know, he started comparing you know, G uh, Julius Caesar to Martin Luther King, you know, was killed for what he believed in, you know, by forces that wanted to bring him down. And he it was remarkable. And, you know, he had these like gangster rappers just eating out of the palm of his hand, sitting there, just, you know, and and, you know, by the end of the night, I mean, he was like uh, you know, he drove away in his convertible ja jag and they're like, goodbye, Bill. Bye. You know, it, was like, <laughs> it was it was it was it was it was it was crazy. That guy is, you know, now in jail for homicide. But <gasps> uh, you really? Yeah, not, yeah, right. not Shatner. No, 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 oh, no. not Shatner. Oh, no, they no, haven't no. caught I him yet. I wondered what happened to that guy. He yeah, was huge. And so, who was in the studio? Like, oh, you got to put him in. He's rated R. No, he, he was he was great. He was he was a lovely he was a lovely guy. Yeah. And uh, other than the murderings, well, yeah. Other he than didn't that. kill anyone on set that we're aware of. No, That's no, important. no, nobody, uh, nobody died on set on the budget. So, so back to back to Captain Kirk's activities during the 60s. Um, activities. One, one thing that I hate that is, you know, this shorthand for non-Trek fans is that, oh, well, Captain Kirk was just sleeping with every alien every week. That is not true. And you know what? I'm getting sick and tired of Rick Berman using that sock puppet account on Twitter to make those accusations. <laughs> <laughs> There is a picture of a sock puppet on the on the Twitter account, which is funny. Um, but, <laughs> but we've we've talked about this a little bit before. But all of Captain Kirk's ex girlfriends still liked him, well, except one. Yeah, at the very end. Uh, but uh, all of them, you know, when they would show up, they 
you know, he had given well, two. respect. Janet Laster and also Lenore Caridian. Well, well, she wasn't really okay. a girlfriend. She wasn't a girlfriend. She yeah. was just there and was crazy. She was a crazy yeah. fan. And even yeah. Carol Marcus liked him. Yeah, she liked it. It's just that she didn't want him to she be didn't anywhere want near their child. Influencing her son. He was yeah. a lot of things, but he was never a Boy Scout. If, if they'd ended up stuck on the Genesis planet for like ever and ever, they totally would have gotten back together and like. Oh, you know, oh, hell yeah, totally. I, definitely. I think they still did after Spock was dead, and uh, he was uh, effuse with the glow of uh, Genesis. You know uh, how much better would young. that have been if if Harv Bennett hadn't gotten rid of her BB yeah, Bash oh for Star Trek Three? How great would it have been if she was in Star Trek Three? Like you know, consoling Kirk and and like you know, wouldn't it have been great to actually maybe see if him? she was the sacrifice? Yeah, it would have meant a lot more. Would or, have been a ton more. I mean, it, it, I don't know. My counter pitch is that it's yeah. it, it doesn't have to be one of those two things. The other version of that is like you know, what better way to describe an arc in the in the relationship between the two of them and kind of call back to like why Carol didn't want kirk involved in david's life than to have david die and like that you have like this mother and father who are just in this thing together i think that's 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 forgive or perhaps me, I think they would have been split fascinating. Up, or perhaps they split up again between movies and that's why he's so morose at the beginning of star trek 3 that's right mm -hmm. she dropped me but i mean what? the fact that she's gone i always missed her in star yeah, trek 3 totally I, I have to say that i was you know, one of the most unsung episodes of Next Gen that I really like that no one ever talks about is Lessons, where mm -hmm. um, with Wendy Hughes, where mm -hmm. Picard falls in love with this. Uh, um, I, I don't remember what she but was. She plays a, the a oboe or some guy. Yeah, yeah, and and then, um, you know, he 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 says, you know, but if we're, her, you know, her name was Darren, by the way. Oh yeah, okay. So he has to decide. You know, now that we have this relationship, will I have what it takes to send her on a dangerous mission? Right. And he does, and she almost dies, and it like kind of destroys their relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just and and he, you know, could he ever do that again? You know, and so they realize they can't serve together, and like it'd be so interesting, you know, to have seen what would have happened with Carol Marcus and Kirk had that relationship continued in Star Trek Three. And, and, you know, also maybe it would have been a great evolution because we see Star Trek II for the first time kind of dealing with Captain Kirk growing older, right? And how he was – wouldn't it be interesting, Star Trek III, see what happens, how he deals with um, a relationship, a long-term relationship, you know, maybe he even got married, you know, and how that would change him as a captain and how that would change the movies. Because right now, Star Trek remained etched in amber. By the time Star Trek VI, they have, the characters haven't changed. They're still doing the same thing. They're not yeah. acknowledging – you know, the evolution of life. And, and how we deal with a relationship is at least as important as how we deal with bachelorhood. Mm -hmm. They're just words, but good words. <laughs> but well, she, you know, go ahead again. No, excuse me, I don't think, you know, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. They missed an opportunity because he wasn't, when he was an admiral, he could have had relationships. I mean, and obviously, you know, the, we, we could have seen that. But I think when he was on the Enterprise originally, he never took that gamble that, Picard did to see if he could even try to be with someone who was under his command. I mean, look, and no, because I think it would affect Yeoman his would have been over that like white on rice. But he yeah. knew. I mean, for whatever, like if people like, oh, Kirk's a slut. Kirk knew exactly like wh where the lines were. He never like fool around with anyone that was going to like you know impact his career, his ship. He has a woman. Her name is the Enterprise. You know, now if he go wants to go out and like you know on the weekends on shore leave and hang out with like hot green alien babes that yeah. looks fine but he also never used his power over a subordinate yeah you know oh. it's like he didn't want to have anything to do with helen noel once they were serving together right yeah. you know or because she because she right or 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 jazz yeah. ran he kept his distance yep. because she w w you know was not his equal or above him so she he didn't want to take advantage of his the, his power in that sense yeah. that uh, you know which at the time, you know, certainly in the 60s, you know, you look at something like the apartment, you know, which deals with this very subject, right. you know, where they're passing around the secretaries like they're candy. Um, you know, it was very forward thinking and very, you know, but uh, something it doesn't he doesn't get credit for. Because yeah. people for think the record, he's just for the for the record, you know, this whole thing about Carol and about, you know, the the whole 
Picard sort of dealing with what how do you handle somebody that you're involved with like as a member of your crew and you know and your children what does all that mean um that was a actually a big part of uh of the the Star Trek beyond that uh, that that Zach and I were uh, were working on it was like mm. that I think sort of somehow morphed into space is boring mm. uh for some reason um but I, I don't know I kind of did you in your when you when you guys pitched um uh, bad robot and came very close to doing the third Calvin universe film yeah. you would have continued Alice Eve as in in, in that film she would have continued uh -huh. to be a presence in that film so 100%. what would, what would you have done with that character I mean, it was it was essentially, you know, the uh, the the um, the problem in the relationship at the top is that she thinks she's pregnant, mm -hmm. and they get into some shit with uh, some aliens, perhaps, and they have pointed ears, but they're not Vulcans, um, and he makes a decision that's good for her, but potentially risky for the ship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the fact that he did that that it like exposed that vulnerability that weakness is um becomes a, a problem for him it's kind of the, the core of like of what he's wrestling with mm -hmm. and also the fact that she's kind of looking at him like you know i get it and maybe i would have done the same thing but you know you're you but you also have a job and you didn't do it mm -hmm. and it kind of pisses me off um so it, it was that was that was the the central character tension that was kind of leading into the the whole story of that thing. But um, I mean, I, I just thought that it, it's just this interesting unexplored territory for Captain Kirk, like how he deals with a relationship, mm. um, how how he would really deal. Like to me, that was the thing that was fascinating. The, the open question from Star Trek Two: What if he had been in David Marcus's life? Right. What would that have been like? You know, yeah. I, I just think that's interesting. And I think uh, he would have been a good dad. It's well, interesting. Sorry, go ahead, Cam. No, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you could look a little bit as a, a possibility for a template would be obviously Cisco and Jake, you know, mm -hmm. like, because that I thought was interesting. You obviously didn't have the love interest, but you did have a lot of the same dynamics. Like, you know, if, if something's coming for, deep, you know, Deep Space Nine, like you've got your, your kid there. Like, you know, what do you do? What decisions do you make differently? When you're thinking, I can't get my kid off this station, and you know the Kardashians are coming, you know not the Kardashians, the Kardashians. <laughs> Although the, with the, the Kardashians, Kardashians were not coming. Oh my time. God, that was so twenty twenty two. You're but... about to be insta famous. That's fantastic. There was not enough clothing stores on the promenade Wouldn't to get them to come. Wouldn't it have been scary though if it had been the Kardashians? It would have been so much more scary. I'd oh. watch that. And the, the makeup, you know, uh, the makeup uh, budget would have been way higher. Oh yeah. my God. No, I have to say, I wish I could like be one of those people who have like a computer and could like, you know, put them into scenes and like, you know, send it out on TikTok or something. Oh, I'm so unhappy. You're really into the TikTok, aren't you? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so, Ashley, I, you know, it's funny because I've heard you, you know, obviously talk about this pitch before that you and Zach had that, um, you know, almost became the sequel to Into Darkness. Uh, um, uh, and and uh, the 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 thing that's so interesting is the fact that the Kelvin universe potentially could have given filmmakers a chance to explore the what ifs, the, the alternate versions of you know all the stuff we said Star Trek Three did wrong. Like it would have been so interesting to see you know you cast a more dynamic actor as David and you know wh where that relationship could have gone. Um, and certainly, you know, the relationship with Carol Marcus and uh, uh, and all the missed opportunities that the Kelvin universe has had for not exploring some of, you know, those those, uh, you know, paths that had been laid out in the original films that also sort of failed to explore them in a meaningful way. Well, I mean, that was kind of the I think the you're right, the one of the the fundamental failures right it's like and i have different opinions than you guys do in some respects um about those films but but i agree that that turk is such an interesting character his relationship with those guys is so interesting and it was an opportunity to kind of break it open and say all right well this is a different continuity how can we explore the things that we know that are fundamental to kirk in a different way 
right? How do we, like, if we put a little English on the ball, how is he a different guy? Or how does he wind up in the same place mm. from a different route? And what do we learn from that? And that never quite happened. It, it's, um, and I, I mean, again, I don't want to get into like kind of debating, you know, virtues and, and vices, but I think, for example, in the case of, um, of the Kelvin universe and the idea of Kirk having a child, having a David Marcus and his, his, um, his relationship with the death of loved ones, you're talking about somebody who in that universe, his origin story involved the death of his father. Right. It's like that he was literally conceived in exactly the nightmare scenarios that we're that we're talking about. And so what are his emotions about that? And then when you look at him from that perspective, what does it mean when suddenly he's in a balance of terror or he's in a doomsday machine? You know, what is that? What is that like? I, I think that's the kind of thing that's that was just it was really missed. And mm. it, it it guts me that like that it it. That was that was never the the focus. You can have a great, cool, freaking action movie, but still yeah. make that great, cool action movie very Just don't make it dumb. character centric. Yeah. Don't make it dumb. Oh, yeah, yeah. Make it about the characters and feelings and shit. Well, yeah, obviously, in, in the original universe. I always thought I don't know in generations, like when he's living in like that French farmhouse or whatever, and he's cooking eggs. I always thought like that it was Carol who was upstairs, but that was just me. No, it's Antonia, whoever the fuck that well, is. Well, and, and for us, it's always been Edith Keeler. You know, that yeah. it should have been. It's such a missed opportunity because we've talked many times about how it should have been Edith Keeler and you could have gotten Joan Collins and, and, and it would have redeemed the rest of the movie because it would have been so cool. But I think what you said is true too. It could have been Carol Marcus, which would have been just as instead. It's some silhouetted anybody, yeah. you know. It, it's Admiral Degora's aide who dies on the transporter pad it's in Star Trek: The Motion Picture yeah. in my retcon. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's 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 um, it, it's such a missed opportunity to explore character. Yeah, you know. Instead, well, we see him cooking and riding horses. That's in, less in Shatner's fantasy, Shatner. right? Yeah, that's right. That has happen. nothing to do with Kirk. That's I, that's one of the fundamental failures of that film is that it's it's not Kirk that he finds. It's it's Shatner, yeah. which is weird. But cool. the, uh, I, I've talked about the solution to that movie is to have Kirk crashing the D. Yeah, and on purpose. On purpose. He he belongs there. He has to save everybody, and he has to sacrifice. That's thing. how he saves everybody. and saves Viridian Three and saves yes. the crew. Is, and he has to be the one you know, in the captain's chair. Yeah, and he dies that way, yeah, where he yeah. belongs. On the bridge of the Enterprise. Yes. Not on a fire escape on the side of a mountain. Yeah, not <laughs> on a fire escape. Yeah, yeah, at a, on a playground. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, look, I want to wrap up by asking you, you know, to sum up in a way, what is it about Captain Kirk that you all love? Like, what, what, here we are, we just spent an hour and a half, to, I hate to say defending, because I think it's the character that needs no defense, but extolling yes, the virtues sure of this amazing character that, you know, Star Trek is kind of built on the shoulders of him and Spock. Um, and I'd love to know, you know, what is it about Captain Kirk that has always captured your imagination and why after 50 years and change, you know, he's still, if not the greatest character in Star Trek history, you know, one of, you know, he is the greatest, let's just say, he's the greatest character. <laughs> I know people think Spock is and Spock is amazing, but we all know it's Kirk. So let's... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Mr. Kyle. It's Mr. Kyle. Yes. Okay. So, Gab, we'll start with you. Um, what is it about Captain Kirk that you just is magical for you? You know, there's he's very much like kind of an archetype. I mean, he's Ulysses, Homer's Ulysses, as, as much as anything else. But I think the way that he was that he was drawn and what Shatner brought to the character was not just that, you know, go out there, get him loose cannon cowboy, but the compassion, the empathy, the, um, the kind of the, the, I, I hesitate to say, like almost the maternal nature. I mean, he feels about his ship and his crew, like, you know, he is their protector. And as just a kid growing up, he was tough, could beat up a Gorn. He could drink someone under the table. He could go meet a sexy woman, but he never felt like he was going to be threatening and like hurt you yeah, yeah he never was he was a weird combination as when i was like an eight-year-old of like a dad and something that i knew in just a few years was going to be a little different <laughs> so you know ashley 
you know, a lot has been made out of the fact that Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are, you know, the id, the ego, and the superego. And it may be it's one great character. Maybe it's not just Kirk. Maybe it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy as the Troika. But it, which may also explain why Generations is not good, because it's Kirk without Spock and McCoy. And why Star Trek V is something, despite all its flaws, we still love, because it is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. So is it the Troika, or is it Captain Kirk that, that to you is the, the Mount Rushmore of Star Trek? Uh, I love the Troika, but to me, it's it's Captain Kirk because you know, for what it's worth, my response to the the uh, it, ego, the super ego argument is that it's not. I don't know that it's necessarily true. I think what is true is look, and you know, Gab, you can speak to this. It's when we create our our protagonist, we try to surround the protagonist with supporting characters who reflect some aspect of that protagonist's personality, right? Because that's where we kind of get like the full 360 view of who they are. And in the case of Star Trek, uh, Spock and McCoy represented these sort of polar extremes of who Kirk mm -hmm. is. Is He is a, a no-nonsense tactician who is very smart. He's very well-read. He, he, he thinks before he leaps, except he's also capable of leaping on instinct because his instincts are just that good. And he's kind and he's compassionate. And just like Spock and McCoy who never surrender in an argument, right? Even though like both of them are always right and both of them are always wrong. You know who never um, surrenders? Kirk, he never surrenders. Uh, that's right, he doesn't. Tim Allen doesn't surrender. Uh, Kirk doesn't surrender. He finds a way. And what what Spock and McCoy always did was help to open up his, his thought process. But at the end of the day, it was always Kirk. And the problem with Kirk in Generations is not that we're lacking Spock and McCoy. Uh, you know, the, the problem with Generations is, like we said, we're lacking Kirk. We're lacking yeah. Kirk. We got Shatner, <laughs> yeah. who is lovely, but he's not Kirk. He's an actor. Yeah. Right. No, we I did a little thing on a lark 30 years ago. <laughs> Darren, bring it home for us. Why is Captain Kirk the icon that he is? I think that because Captain Kirk is the is the perfect synthesis of this compassion and logic. Um, he is that combination of all characters uh, because he he needs Spock around to reassure him that he's making the right decision. He needs McCoy around to make sure that once that decision is made, he can live with it, right? Um, so and I can live with it. He, Kirk has beaten Spock at chess, a an, an extremely logical game, and he has uh, he has uh, experienced uh, emotional uh, passion and loss uh, way more than McCoy has ever. So he is uh, the the ultimate empath and. Uh, and uh, smart person. The great thing about uh, Kirk is that he is incredibly smart and incredibly feeling at the same time. That's the equation. That's the equation. <laughs> and by the way, as the only woman here, I do have to just mention extreme hotness. Of course. Just of extreme course. hotness. Look, I mean, it's, it's and, not hard to swagger, believe that the swagger yeah, the of swagger, confidence, the charisma. Mm. Yeah. And the torn tunic. Oh, God, I love the torn tunic. That's it. <laughs> every week I'm like, oh, maybe his tunic will fall off again today. <laughs> and, you know, look, and also he was the nerd. Stack of books on legs, Gary Mitchell called them, right? Right. right. You know, and, and it was only, you know, later. You know, Finnegan used to torment him in, at the yeah. Academy. That's he right. grew into what he became. Right. You know, right. and and, and uh, it's, so it's so... It's so interesting because everybody talks about, oh, you know, was the, you know, growing up and being an outsider, they related to Spock. But, you know, it's like, I don't know about that. You know, but they... <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong. Spock was hot too, but, you know, that's... Spock is awesome. Look, Spock we love awesome. Spock. Love Spock. But... Spock is amazing. It's an amazing character. We Leonard was brilliant. Spock. Yeah, we crack Spock. But this is about celebrating, you know, Captain Kirk. Right. Because, uh, you know, unfortunately, he is, he's, has suffered uh, slings and arrows of outrageous tweets. And uh, now, now I have to go on Twitter and just look at these, but it's just going to make me so mad. I'm going to be so it mad. It'll make, make it'll make you mad. And then you stop oh, it and God. you say, you know, who are the people that are writing this? It's and then, okay. just, and just then it, it evaporates. That, 
just understand that you're walking into the big room of dumb. So. Yeah, the big room of dumb. <laughs> There's That's so, so much funny. dumb in this room. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. But with that said, I, I gotta I gotta thank Gab for once again joining us on the Trex. It's always so good to have you on the show. Being here, have me back again, please. Oh my God, you're such a good guest. The problem is, you you're, you know, you're always working. It's so hard to get you uh, oh. get you on the show when you're you're, so, you're busy. so busy. Busy, 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 busy. <laughs> <laughs> but but you you have a, an a invitation to come by anytime. You can also join us on Deck Seventy Eight, which is our new podcast where we talk about Trek adjacent subjects, Trek adjacent yeah. subjects, and it's only available to our Trek Sports Plus subscribers. And they can find out more about that at treksportsplus.com if they want to subscribe and get access to Deck Seventy Eight. That sounds so exciting. Like, what would a de- what would a Star Trek um like extended what would that be? Like, what you know what be? it is? It's Lola's. It's Lola's oh. on a secret deck of the Enterprise. You know, in being John Malkovich, where it was flaw eight yep, and a half. Yep, yep, the yep. little tiny door. It, yep. it, this is kind of like the secret, the secret hangout. With, the room, you know, the, the the cabin that the turbo lift doesn't normally take you to. Yeah, but you know they have apple martinis. Yeah, they have. You know, oh, I, cookies. I am I demand an invitation. They have that macaroni and cheese too. They do, and and waiters who say they've been abducted by aliens, and some waiters that are aliens. Right. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so you'll have to come by deck seventy eight. We can talk about you know pretty much anything. We can talk about Haven. You know. Hey, it's Trek adjacent. William Shatner. William Shatner for it. So it's totally Trek adjacent. And and there was a Star Trek: The Next Generation episode called Haven. So it's by definition Trek adjacent. It's like right together. See, and that's right, because Haven would work. We can't talk about Ugly Betty. That's a little too far. No, that would not work. That's a bridge too far. But like Haven would be perfect to talk about. Or or Farscape. Farscape? Oh, Farscape. That's a good, we should do that. Because we recent episodes, we talked about Alien with Charlie DeLazarica. We did Battle Beyond the Stars with Alan Holtzman, who was the editor. Um, And uh, we got some great uh, shows coming up. We're going to do an episode on Wise Guy, one of my favorite shows. Oh, yeah. So... um, uh, we'll have to have you back. And if you it. haven't heard these, it's because you haven't subscribed yet. There you go. Tell me how to subscribe again. Well, you want to go to trexpertsplus.com. And not only is it an opportunity to get these uh, Deck 78 episodes that are exclusive to our Trexperts Plus subscribers, but you also have an opportunity for future meetups, get-togethers, social connection, things like that. So if you need to get a hold of us, you want to become a Trexperts Plus subscriber. Unless you have access to the entire library of our previous episodes. So it's a beautiful thing. So, and it's really, and the reason we're doing it is so, um, you know, the the wonderful uh, assistance and support staff that we have uh, that we can give them a little money for mixing and hosting and all this stuff. It's, it's to defray our costs. So it's not to, uh, it's to get rich. It's not to pay for the fly, the private uh, plane. We're building a studio. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah, we're building a we're building a studio. So uh, one at a time. Anyway, uh, uh, I want to I want to thank uh, everyone for joining us. I, I, if you have more to say on this topic, you can join us on Twitter at Inglorious Trek or Instagram at Inglorious Trexperts or Facebook. Uh, unless you're going to tell us that DC Fontana also worked on Encounter Farpoint, uh, that I'm not I'm less interested in. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, on behalf of Gab, Ashley, Darren, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking. And gloriously, of course, we'll see you back here in two weeks. And next week, it's Deck 78.